0: Exodus chapter 11. We're continuing our series. This is the fifth Sunday that we've been in this series. And it's entitled, How to Deliver a Nation. And and some may wonder about that title. But I believe that our nation needs deliverance. I believe our nation has shifted and changed. And not for the good. I I see a nation that is totally different than the nation that I grew up in as a child. Our Judeo-Christian values that were prominent in our nation have been pushed aside. They've been removed from our schools and removed from our government as much as they can so far. And the only answer for our nation, church, is very simple. The answer is you. The answer is you being what God's called you to be. And that is to be the light, amen, and to be the salt in our nation. And to minister the love and the life of Jesus wherever we have the opportunity. You and I, church, we, all of us have an area of influence. Our areas differ. None of us have the same friends, the same family, the same co-workers. But all of us have an area of influence. And when we all take that little area of influence and we begin to to love people into life in Jesus, that's what brings deliverance to a nation. Amen? I want you to look at me today. Last week we looked at the nine plagues. And the plagues were directed at all the false gods of Egypt. Today we're going to look at the tenth plague. And I wanted to take it separately because of all that's contained in that passage. Because it gives us a a foundational understanding of the significance of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So today I want you to begin with me in, in chapter 11 of Exodus. And let's look at verse 1 and verse 2. The Passover is a central theme for us in understanding the power of the blood of Jesus. Verse 1 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask, from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now, there's, this is an interesting passage. It sounds, why is God telling them to go to their neighbor's and say, give me your gold and silver. I want us to think about that for a minute. First of all, I don't think that's much to ask considering the nation of Israel had just spent 400 years in, slave, in slavery to work and, and to do whatever they were asked to do by the Pharaoh. 400 years, years of servitude. So that really wasn't that large of an amount for all that work. But also, I want you to think about this. God was telling them, you're going to get ready because you're about to leave. You're about to travel. Amen. You're getting ready for a journey. And something else I love about these verses here, it says, listen to this. Listen to what it says again about Moses. It says, Moreover, at the very end of verse 3, Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now that's powerful because just a, a couple of chapters back, if you remember, church, everybody hated Moses. Not only the Pharaoh, but the Egyptians hated him. Even the Hebrew leaders hated him. He was not... Well liked, because of of the additional things that were brought on when he came to Pharaoh initially and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, and I'm going to make it harder on you. Now you're going to make the same amount of bricks, but you're going to do it, and we're not going to bring you the straw. So they were upset at at Moses. So what happened here? What changed? God gave Moses divine favor. Everybody say favor. Favor. God gave him divine favor. It's it's astonishing and it's powerful. And it reminds me of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. Think about this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that powerful? It's saying when we're sold out for God and we're living a life that pleases God, God will give us favor with people, even our enemies. And we see that happen right here in the life of Moses. And church, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for God to give the church divine favor again in the United States of America. Amen. Amen. There was a time in our nation when when pastors were thought of highly and respected and appreciated. Today that's not so. There was a time back in the 50s and even in in some of the early 60s before that big shift began to take place where where they were respected in a community along with the bankers or the professors or principals or or doctors or those that were prominent businessmen. They were were just respected in their community. Today on TV, ministers are mocked. They're ridiculed. And church, I believe that God can bring back favor for the church. And that's that's my prayer. And how does that happen? When we're dedicated to pleasing God, to living for Him. Saying, Lord, my life is yours. I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. I'm going to live according to your word. I'm going to be obedient. And, Lord, you can even make my enemies at peace with me. Amen. I pray for you and your job and wherever you are. Most of us uh, experience some sort of persecution on the job now. We do. People don't want to hear about Jesus. And they, they call us names and mock us, ridicule us a lot of times. Unless we live or unless we work in an uh, atmosphere where there's lots of Christians or those who are over us are Christians. I hear it all the time. I hear people coming to me saying, you know, I don't know why they're, they're, it's like they're signaling me out and picking on me because I'm a Christian. I never get the raise or I never get the promotion or I, I get mocked and ridiculed. I can't ever do anything right. In church, I'm praying and believing that God's going to raise up not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ. And that God's going to give the church favor again. That they'll see us loving them and caring about them and wanting them to know the love and the life that Jesus has for them. Amen? So I want you to turn to somebody and say, I pray God will give you favor. It's interesting, also, the gold and the silver, God was going to call upon them to use that gold and silver for the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, for the place that they would come together and worship. So there was more than just God saying, here's a little bit of pocket change for you to make this trip. God had a purpose. God was seeing the future. And it's interesting, Proverbs 13 and 22, you've probably heard it, but it says, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Did you hear that? The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now we know that our our treasures are in heaven. But God also knows that we need what we need to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue to reach out in benevolence. Continue. And God's heart is to bless us. Not just one day when we enter into the glory, but God's heart is to bless us even now. I had a man that came that was in our church and just a, a A few years back, he came up to me, and he shared this verse with me. He said, Pastor, and he shared the verse in Proverbs, and he said, this just happened to me. He said, this just happened. I said, oh, really? What did God do? He said, my family, many of them mocked me and ridiculed me, didn't want to have anything to do with God, and they rejected me. And all, several of them in the last year have all died, and guess where all their wealth ended up? He said, this verse is true. And he blessed others. He, he was one of those people, anytime he got some extra funds, he would come to me and he would say, I really feel like the Lord wants to bless this person, and I don't want them to know where it came from. So, Pastor, here's two or three hundred dollars. I want you to go bless them. Church, I'm praying that in these days that the wealth of the wicked is going to be stored and released for the godly people, that in these last days we will have more than enough. Amen. He said, give, and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen? And I'm praying that our church wouldn't just squeak by to be able to pay the bills. I'm praying that God would begin to to bless us in such a way that we would be able to to send missionaries out just from our church. And what I mean by that, church, normally missionaries take two years They take two years, and they travel all over the United States from church to church, and churches will will say, I will support you, and it's usually $25 a month, $50 a month, or $100 a month. But it's not a large sum. So they're going around to all these churches. I pray that God would open the windows of heaven and begin to pour out the wealth of the wicked in the church of Jesus Christ. Where, that we can, where we can send missionaries so we don't have to go and say, you've got to itinerate two years. We can just go to the board and say, this couple wants to go, and they want to minister, and I want to support them. And we'll say, we're going to fully support you. Wouldn't that be awesome? How many believe we serve a God that can do that? Amen. How many believe that God can bless you? How many believe God wants to bless you? And I'm not one of those preachers that it's name it, claim it, everybody needs a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying God wants to give you more than enough that you can bless others. That's in Scripture. Amen? I could go ahead and preach an entire message on that one thing, but I'm not. But I want you to know I'm praying and you need to pray too that in these last days the church would be just gathered together in an abundance of God ministering and pouring out just like he brought this nation out. And they were utterly poor, but God financed everything they needed. Amen? Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 11. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the of the female servant who is behind the handmill. Okay, what, what he's saying that the, the handmill, every household had a handmill. It was a sloped little stone that was concave, and they would have another stone, and they would grind out the grain. Okay, so for meal, and every every home had a had a servant who would do that. So he's saying, from Pharaoh down to the lowliest servant, this is going to affect the entire nation. It goes on and says, And all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast. I love that. God's saying, the dogs aren't even going to bark at you. <laughs> then listen to this. Listen to what he says. That you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. God's speaking here. He's saying, they're going oh, to see the difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Is God racist? No, it had nothing to do with their nationality, their background. God is not racist. In fact, heaven's, God's word says that about heaven, there'll be every tribe, tongue, people, and nation there. There's no racism in God's kingdom. So what God's talking about there is the difference between somebody who's rebellious against God and someone who's obedient. This whole passage, if you look with Pharaoh and Moses, the contrast is so evident. God is going to bring distinction in the lives of everyone who is obedient, and Moses was. Moses was totally obedient, down to the littlest, smallest detail of what God told him to do. He was going to follow that and have the people follow that. Where we see Pharaoh thinking he's God and he's re- rejecting God. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And God says, I want there to be seen a distinction. And church, you need to let this sink into your heart. When you determine, God, I'm going to obey you down to the smallest detail. Even when it's difficult. It was so hard. Think about it. Everybody hated Moses. Even the people he came To set free, we're mad at him. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I would not like to be in that situation. And as a pastor, there are times I'm in situations and I don't like them. But he was gonna be obedient to God even if he was was standing alone. He was gonna do exactly what God called him to do. Church, we need to have a distinction between those that don't know the lord that rebel against god and those that are wholeheartedly serving him and church if you are wholeheartedly serving him there will be that distinction amen i had a a, a for old friend of my dad's years ago that he uh he loved the lord and he he was up in years and he knew that he was you know about to the end of his life. And he, he looked at me and he said, Milt, I want you to know. He said, I have come to this conclusion without any doubt in my life that living the Christian life and following the Word of God, being obedient to the Word of God is the greatest life that anyone can ever live on this earth. Amen? Amen? And he, he contrasts. He looked, at, he looked at his friends who, who wanted to be their own God, who wanted to do their own thing. And he looked back on their lives and the destruction that came into their life. And he said, Mill, I haven't been perfect, but I have strived my best to live for God and to do what he called me to do. And I've never regretted it. Church, I've never met anyone who's regretted it. I haven't. And I've met a lot of people that regretted it when they lived for their self. How many want to join me and say, Lord, help me to be obedient to you, amen? Help my life to be a distinction between those that want to be their own God, amen? Let's let's look at verse eight, or verse, uh, let's see, yeah, verse eight. And all these your servants shall come down to me This is Moses speaking to Pharaoh. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Now we know the scripture says be angry and sin not. But you can be angry and have a righteous anger. And Moses had a righteous anger. Amen. He didn't apologize for what was going to happen. He didn't apologize because this is God's word. Are you with me? In church, I think we need more pastors that have that attitude that they're going to be like Moses and stand alone even if everyone's against them because they know the word of God they know what God's word says not that they're preaching it in anger but they're preaching it with a with an understanding that it's greater than them it's greater than 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 anything they can do it's the word of the living God that transforms hearts and lives are you with me verse uh Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. God was rearranging their calendar. God was showing the significance of this day. He wanted them to remember it from generation to generation. He's saying, this is a new beginning. This is new Year's, new Year's Day for my people forever to remember what I did for them. I love that. In verses three through five, it continues and says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. The number was it had to be no less than 10 and no more than 20. He continues and says, According to each man's need, you shall make your, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The reason this is so important, church, is because it's foundational for us to understand the significance and the power of the blood of Jesus. Scripture tells us, it teaches us, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So all these years... Centuries before, God was showing, laying a foundation that we would understand what the Passover truly means. What what the blood of the Lamb truly means. And I want to give you three things quickly that you need to jot down. First of all, the blood sacrifice brought great deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. It delivered the nation... But church, the blood of Jesus will deliver you from anything that holds you back. It doesn't matter what you've done. The blood of Jesus is greater than all our sin. Amen? The blood of Jesus is greater than any addiction, anything that has a hold on our life. The blood of Jesus is greater. The blood of Jesus brings deliverance. I've prayed with I don't know how many people through the years that struggled with something in their life. They struggled with condemnation because they failed so so greatly in their past. They failed with sin, and sin took a hold in their life. But church, I've never met one single person that wanted to be delivered and gave it to Jesus that Jesus did not deliver. Are you thankful for that deliverance today? The blood of Jesus in this story also brought protection. It brought divine protection. When that spirit of death was moving through Egypt, the blood was on the doorpost and the lintel of the homes, and God passed over them. I love that. Church, you do not have to live in any kind of fear because God is greater. He is your protector. I've been in situations many times as a deputy sheriff that were, that were very scary in the earthly realm. I could have easily have lost my life. I've been in other situations when, when uh, things would happen and there were things taking place and I could have lost my life. But church, I have never, never, never lived in fear because I know my protector. Are you with me? I know that he gives me every beat of my heart, every breath that I take, and I'm going to be here as long as he has planned for me to be here. And the moment he's ready for me to leave this body, I'm ready to go. Amen? Amen? Because to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And Paul said it's far better to go to be with Jesus. I preached some difficult funerals in my day. One of those was my own father's. But church... I knew where he was. I knew he wasn't in pain any longer. I knew it's far better to go to be with Jesus. So I was able to stand before that congregation that day and I was able to preach the word of God because I don't only preach it, I live it. I know that God is our protector today, amen? And the third thing that God did through the blood, he gave them a God-provided future. Everybody say future. God through his precious blood has not only delivered us and protects us he has a god-given future for you. Amen. When you surrender your life to him, he plans and designs the steps of a righteous man or woman, it's speaking of mankind are ordered of the Lord. Amen. They're ordered of the Lord. So, God's going to guide us into that future if we're obeying Him, living for Him. You have an awesome future ahead of you. You may be right now without a job. You may be wondering and worried. Give it to God. He's got it. Amen. Are you? Oh, come on, church. I'm talking about the precious blood of Jesus here. Revelation. Revelation says. The blood of Jesus will be our theme for eternity. Hallelujah. We're going to be singing and praising God for the precious blood that He shed. Amen. Amen. We could spend a whole, a whole message on just the blood, but I'm trying to get through this, so I got to go on. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, here's one more verse on the blood. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Listen to this. He's talking about the Old Testament rites, and now he's talking about Jesus. How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve The living God. Amen? The writer of Hebrews is simply saying that if the Old Testament rituals counted for something, and they did according to Scripture, how much more does the blood of Jesus cleanse us to serve the living God? Another note is that this is the same day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Why? Because he is the Lamb of God. Let's look at verse 6. we got to go on. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now think about this. Keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Why did God want them to keep that precious little lamb with them? Do you think they would become attached to it? Do you think it would become precious to them, part of the family? It was all pointing to how precious the gift that Jesus gave us truly is. Verse 7 says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Imagine yourself receiving these instructions. They had never cooked a lamb this way, they had never taken a bowl, gathered the, the, the blood from the lamb. They had never taken hyssop and dipped it into the bowl and put it on the lintel in the doorpost. It was all new to them. They didn't understand it, but God was teaching them something and they were learning to be obedient and they were. God had called them all to do this. He was never had an entire nation picked up in one night and left. A nation that had been there for 400 years. Now God's calling them, okay, we're all heading out right now. Grab your stuff. Let's go. Think about that. There was no logical reason for them to do these things, and yet God calls them to do them, and they were obedient. Church, sometimes we read Scripture, and we don't understand logically why God calls us to do certain things. But they're there for a reason. The commandments are there for a reason. All these things given to us are there again to live the best life we can possibly live here and then join the Lord when it's over in eternity. Look at verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What is all that? have to do? Why are they doing that? God was saying, freedom's coming, get ready. (laughs) He was saying, get ready because you're about to leave this place. It's going to be in haste. You're going to eat fast. You're going to have your staff there. You're going to have your belt on. You're going to have your sandals on your feet. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Amen. Freedom's coming. That's the message our our nation needs to hear. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, there's freedom in Jesus. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Freedom in Jesus. I love that. I've got to hurry. Verse 12. Have you ever been preaching and you just love it so much you, you have a hard time keeping going? That's where I'm at today. Look at verse 12. I promise I'm trying to get done. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And listen to this. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. We talked about it last week. All of the plagues directly assaulted, confronted one of the gods of Egypt and God declared, I am the Lord. And that's immediate, that's exactly what he says here. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I love that. There used to be an old, old hymn, When I see the blood. Church. We still need songs about the blood of Jesus. Amen? God's saying here, when I see the blood, when he sees the blood of Jesus applied to our lives, guess what? We're delivered. (laughs) We're protected. We have that God-given future. Look at verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. Everybody say memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. God was telling them, I want you to remember forever what I am doing for the nation of Israel. What I'm doing for the people. It needs to be an everlasting ordinance. It needs to be passed down. Then look at verse 25 in the same chapter. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you. Just as he promised that you shall keep this service and it shall be when your children, listen to this, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered so the people bowed their heads and worshiped. As parents and grandparents, the greatest job that we've been given as Christian grandparents and parents is to teach the next generation, to tell them what God did for us. We live in a time when it's politically correct to let our children just choose whatever they want. They can choose whether they want to be a boy or a girl. That's ridiculous. God created them, male and female. And if they have actual psychological problems, then they need to get help. But you don't say to your three or four or five-year-old child. Well, if you want to be a girl, but you're a boy, if you want to be a girl, you can. And that's what's taking place. We have boys that want to think they're girls that are competing in girls' athletic events. And they're winning. Why? Because God created us different. And I'm not here to get on that in in politics, but what I'm saying is, church, God doesn't give us a choice to teach our children that He is the Lord. Because it's politically correct today to do that with your children. Well, I'm going to let my children just grow up and I'm a Christian, but but I'll let them be whatever they want to be we're all going to stand before God one day and we're going to have to give an account. Now think about it. One of the primary things in my life, I've loved being a pastor. I love people. But there's a priority that's in my life that's been greater than that. And it's that my children know what I believe. As they grow up and they say, why do we pray before we eat? Why do we go to church every week? Because God's word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a spiritual dynamic that takes place. And I thank God for the the video that we can send the gospel around the world. But church, there is a spiritual dynamic that takes place when God's people come together and worship together. Amen. Amen. He says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Amen. Why do we take communion? Why do we live according to this ancient book? Those are questions that our children deserve to have the answers for. And in my house, I I, I made sure that it wasn't just do as I say, but it was do as I do. I'm not saying that I was a perfect dad, and I'm not saying that Melinda was, yeah, she was a perfect mom. But church, I did my very best to be obedient to what God called us to do. 27 years ago, when God placed on my heart to go to Alaska, leave Texas, leave family, leave a church, leave friends, I had them come and and say, why on earth are you going up to Alaska? Why are you going to a small place? Why are you going to play such a... In fact, they even told us, your kids will not be well-educated. I'm serious. Some of the women gathered around Melinda and just started crying. And I guarantee you, if I'd listened to that and stayed in Texas, my life would have been miserable because I would have been out of the will of God. I've never regretted it. And church, you won't either. When you're obedient to God. And I want to challenge you. I'm not saying that as parents and grandparents that we're perfect. We struggle with the flesh. But I will tell you, church, when you wholeheartedly say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be obedient just like Moses was obedient even when there was no one standing with him. Lord, I want to be obedient like that, you will never regret it. Amen. The great theme in this passage is obedience. And I want to challenge you today. If there's things in your life that you know aren't being obedient to the Lord, bring them to Him today. I want the worship team to come. I was just imagining the devastation in Egypt on that day, on that night. I want you to think about the devastation, what it actually took. Think about it. How many of us here today are firstborn? We would have died. How many of you have firstborn children that would have died? How many of you have several firstborn grandchildren that would have all died? There was an outcry in the land of Egypt that the Bible says was greater than anything ever before it or greater than anything after it. There was a distinction there. And it wasn't God saying, I'm going to get even with these people. It was people that had rejected God and rejected God and they hardened their hearts and hardened their hearts. And God just said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. Church, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see my children's lives in any other place other than total obedience to Jesus. I don't care if they ever become wealthy or not or struggle financially. I'm I'm believing if they're living for God, He's going to provide for their needs. But I'm, I'm not worried about them becoming famous or wealthy or anything like that what what i'm concerned about is that they just say yes to jesus and they come under the covering of his blood and they know the delivering power of the blood of jesus and the protection of the blood of jesus and fulfill god's future that he has for them how many would say amen to that amen amen We're going to close in prayer in just a minute, but we have something awesome today as we close. We have some young people that are going to be baptized. So I want you to I want you to lift the screen if you would. And if can I get a couple of the guys come and, and move these banners that are right in front? Would you do that for me? Thank you, gentlemen. These kids today are going